0: So I think everybody has an identity, the interesting thing is we all construct our own but, but and, and we construct our own as being quite a big complex broad thing but the one we ascribe to everybody else is always a very narrow simplistic one.
1: Hello, the internet. You are listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning author of fiction and nonfiction, and now guy who has finally gotten around to watching Stranger Things. Um, I realize I'm like five years late on that. Uh, you know, it just, it never seemed like it was going to be my bag. Like it just seemed like a lot of 80s nostalgia for the sake of 80s nostalgia, which if that's your thing, Hey, more power to you. Just not my thing. I don't know though. Um, I finally got around to it and, uh, that's because my agent is shopping around my latest novel right now, submitting it to publishers. Um, her assistant read it and she said to her, you know, this novel reminds me of Stranger Things. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> now I got to watch that show and see how badly I've ripped it off. Um, it's pretty good though. I'm liking it. I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm about a season and a half in, um, the only downside is this character on the show, Steve Harrington. Uh, every time someone yells out to him, Hey Harrington, you know, I'm like, what? Oh, that was the TV, um, you know, flashbacks, flashbacks to middle school, um, when bullies would, would yell that at me in the hallway. Anyway, um, at least my name's not Steve. I do have a cousin whose name is Steve Harrington though. Uh, I wonder how he feels about this show. I have not asked him about it. He might not have seen it. I don't know. Um, anyway, um, what we're talking about this week has very little to do with stranger things um except a tenuous ronald reagan connection maybe i don't know um but my producer blake recommended this guy to me this is a guy named liam murray who uh, comes to us from the shores of mary scotland um and he is a progressive and he is pro-life um he wasn't always pro-life wasn't always opposed to abortion, Um, but he talked to me about how he came around to that position, Um, not because of finding religious faith, but kind of despite losing religious faith. So it was a really interesting conversation. Um, I will let Liam introduce himself, and I will see you on the other side. Welcome to the show. Hi, Luke. Nice to be with you. Liam is joining us from the Jolly Shores of Scotland. As has been a tradition on this show, every time I feature a guest in the UK, I mess up the time schedule somehow. (laughs) So this is our second or possibly third try for getting this episode recorded, depending on how you want to count. Yeah, I forgot that uh, daylight savings time in the US extends into November... Whereas in the UK, it ends in October. That was a bit of drama that listeners missed. Liam, I am so sorry. (laughs) That's that's okay, not at all, not at all. We got there in the Um, end. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, before we were talking, before we started recording, uh, we were talking a little bit about what you do. Um, You're involved in the banking industry. And you were telling me you used to run a blog that got considerable attention back in the glory days of blogging. And. In relative
0: terms, it got a bit of attention. Yeah, it was very much the early days of blogging. Uh, it got quite a bit of profile, mainly secondhand, because a few of the bigger still bloggers um, picked up in some some material that I'd written. And I did a, a newsletter on a, a weekly basis covering output from the major think tanks and lobby groups etc in the UK which just seemed to plug a hole in the market because uh, there wasn't something that summarized that so I tried to do that as well and I ran that for a couple of years I think that was sort of taken over again Twitter and different ways of communicating things made the idea behind that a little bit redundant after a while but yeah that was my background in that I stayed fairly active in Twitter uh, and the sort of the public sphere in the uk but my day job as i say is working in the banking industry
1: everybody wants to talk about twitter killing blogging but i do wonder how much um the death of google reader had to do with it as well you know uh, yeah well yeah
0: i mean <laughs> I, when i did that newsletter i used all i did was i was rss feeds that i used. that's all mm-hmm. i did and, and it allowed me to separate everything out and, and understand what was a policy announcement what was a positional paper and stuff and i used that and i used Google reader. I've tried to use Feedly in various things, but yes, I have wondered whether or not that's had more of a um, more of an impact than people give it credit for. Obviously, blogging was a, a pla- as a platform. Blog- blogs weren't two hundred and eighty characters or whatever they were. Now they were considerably longer than that, so it does feel <laughs> strange to suggest Twitter was the death of it because it's not. They feel like a different forum. Um, but yeah, I, I, blogging appears to now have just been absorbed into the mainstream, and you know the New York Times has got blogs, the Guardian has yeah, got blogs. Sure. is—it's it it's kind of broken down the form, if you like.
1: This is weird, but I often think like how different the internet would be if Google Reader hadn't been <laughs> taken away. Because <Yeah>. yeah. <laughs> there was a time, um, I want to say around two thousand seven, two thousand eight maybe into 2009 when I, I wrote regularly for a blog. It was a movie blog. It was called Movie Zeal, like C-E-A-L. People can look it up. It is long gone from the internet. You can find parts of it on, you know, archive sites or whatever. Yep. Yeah, there was one day where I was at a very boring job uh, at this time. So like, you know, I was just sitting in a cubicle with nothing to do most days. So most days I would just log on to movie zeal the movie blog and see like what new comments there were and stuff and um one day it was like um you know i I kept checking and you know hours went by and no new comments and i was like ah i'm bored somebody comment or something you know (laughs) um the editor for the blog he he you know he emailed me about something else and he was like by the way if you're wondering if there's a why there's nothing new new on the or why there are no new comments on the site it's because google reader is down this morning <laughs> i was like yeah. oh, wow okay uh-huh. so i never i personally i never used google reader but it was like the way to read blogs for a lot of people um,
0: i think it was the way to read yeah it's was, it was what i used to as i say i used it for the content i was trying to use for that newsletter but i also used it for the content that i used it for the other blogs that i read otherwise you have to literally go and visit everything yeah. Um, yeah. and and you know, and you get a, you have a bookmark bar that's you know a foot long kind of thing. So yeah, I think I'm sure it had it probably had a disproportionate impact, more of an impact than people give it credit for.
1: Seems like really the only mainstream use of RSS these days is just like podcasts. Like people subscribe to your podcast, and then you can push new episodes of the podcast to them. But
0: well, that's sure that's my technical shortcomings. I never even I I've not done. Um, uh, I've not done podcasts myself or been on them, but I listened to a huge number of them and I wasn't even really aware that that was RSS was the technology that underpinned that I use, I think I use Overcast um, that's how, that's the, the podcast app I use, but I wasn't really aware that RSS was what underpinned that, but I suppose it makes sense because they just appear, as you say new, yeah. ap- new episodes just appear, so it makes sense
1: Yeah, well, and you know <laughs> this is like pointless technical details that I'm sure listeners won't care about, but you can describe it even with um, Overcast, you can go into Add Podcasts, and if you can't find it in their search feature, you can just directly copy and paste the RSS feed link into it, and it'll subscribe you to it. So yeah, it is yeah. very basic RSS technology. Anyway, RIP early 21st century internet. Yes, hardly knew <laughs> yes. Um, but you, uh, you were recommended to me uh, as a guest for the show by my producer Blake, and he um, told me you are a progressive, uh, pro-life. Uh, I don't know. It, I was going to say activist. Is activist accurate, or is that no more I, of a? <laughs> I think yeah. I would say that's too that's too strong. So,
0: so yeah. I mean, we could sort of get into it. I, I I was a wee bit nervous and I maybe should have said this look like, before we started recording but I, I from my own position it's not so much of having been firmly on one side and now absolutely on the other so much as sure it's it's, it's it not being an issue that I'm an issue that I'm very uncomfortable being. Where my ideological soulmates say I should be, yeah. <laughs> in other words, mm-hmm. as as in and my I, in terms of being in the progressive liberal side of it, there's an assumption that you would, you know, you would be um, pro-choice, uh, and I find that I'm very, very uncomfortable with that. Um, uh, that some of that goes back to, and we can, we can maybe get into that. I, so I was on the west coast. I was raised in the west coast of Scotland in a Catholic family. Um, And in the eighties, my mother was, I don't know if this is a global organization, there's an organization (laughs) called SPUCC or Society Hmm. for the Protection of the Unborn Children. So raised in a Catholic environment, my mother was extremely um, anti-abortion, pro-life. And at that point in time, so when I was a teenager and doing the things that teenagers do in terms of rebelling against the the positions that your parents held, I, I remember thinking that was a bit strange. It was also at the time when you know Catholic Church was would be saying things that I found problematic on homosexuality, sex outside marriage, any of those sorts of things, very kind of conservative issues. So at that point in time, I found I, I pushed myself towards the more progressive position and in rejection of my parents' position because I thought that just doesn't feel right and it's wrapped up in these other positions that I'm I'm deeply uncomfortable with as well so but that was an element of which I think we all do it was an element of um my mum and dad think a so I think z that's the way it often (laughs) happens um but it always stuck in the back of my mind as there was a sense that maybe was different from that when things started to change really for me and I know this is a huge cliche but was my wife and I had children so when we Mm. went through that we went through the process uh, and you go for a scan and you see a picture and you 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 walk around and you show that grainy picture that, that doesn't really look like anything to everybody and you show it <laughs> and you invest all of this stuff in it. That was the point that made me think, mm, okay, and gave me pause. I think I still, I'm always aware just probably because I've been kind of, sort of active online, you know, no uterus, no opinion and stuff like that. It was <laughs> something I always keep to myself because, for a number of reasons, primarily, I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a bloke. So there is a there is a strain <laughs> of thinking that says you're not allowed an opinion in this. And I, I don't quite agree with that, but I want to be respectful of it sure. <laughs> and acknowledge that it's there. Um, the other one is the the ideological bedfellows that, that you find yourself with if you say that you move into a pro-life p- position. Um <laughs> make me deeply uncomfortable as well and that so that's why i find myself in the kind of strange position of moving back to where my parents were that i initially rebelled against them now being a parent myself moving back into the i find it difficult to to approve of the notion of abortion in all but the most extreme circumstances so you can have a kind of you can have a generic conversation about it The problem I always think on that topic is that people go, if if you say that you are pro-life, people always go to, you know, rape and incest. They go to the Mm -hmm. extreme of Mm -hmm. the debate, and I get that, and I understand why. And I I can't in any conscience defend that. I I, I struggle with that, so that's why I don't see myself as 100% um, pro-life. Because I think, mm-hmm. again, it's a it's a bigger. I think the other thing is this is a bigger topic where you are looked than it is here. It's never been the culture yeah. the kind of culture war topic in the UK that it is in the US. Yeah. Um, I'm follow enough of it to know obviously Roe versus Wade and stuff like that, but it's never been that big a topic in the UK. It's starting to become one now, I believe. Mm. I don't mm. know why that is, but it's never had the kind of purchase in the UK that it's had. If you go back, you know, 15, 20 years ago. I would imagine 80, 90% of the country were pro-choice. It wasn't a big issue, whereas I think it's always been quite divisive in the US. So mm-hmm. it's kind of it's played
1: out differently in the UK as well. Yeah, wow. There's a lot we could talk about there. Um, Sorry if I will that was say- a ramble. <laughs> no, it's quite all right. You gave me a lot, a lot to unpack. Um, I will say this, and um, this is probably the most off-topic thing, but I am curious. You are somehow the second uh guest i've had on this season with scottish catholic roots um which i I honestly barely knew was a thing (laughs) like i had um earlier this season i had on uh john langan who is a he's an american novelist um right okay but he uh i I think think he was born in the u.s but his parents i I might be off about that but i believe his parents were um, scottish immigrants um, and they were they were catholic um it's an I'm Irish thing.
0: Of, it's a, it's an Irish diaspora. Is a, is there was a, a, obviously okay. obviously obviously there was a lot of Irish um, the diaspora that moved um, west and came and came to the US and came to you know Boston and and all that type sure. of stuff. But there but those that didn't make the journey that far moved into the kind of west of Scotland. And there's a sure. you again way off topic, but there's there's quite a. <laughs> The, the Troubles in Ireland have a small yes. kind of mirror microcosm in the west of Scotland. There's a Catholic Protestant thing going you know, on in there. Um, the, the west of Scotland kind of has a little mimicry of what, what goes on in Northern Ireland there with that. But, but yeah, no, there is a there is a fairly sizable population like that. And I'm not, I mentioned that in the context of just the history of it. I'm not, um, I'm lapsed, I think is the proper term. I'm not active sure. like in my family, sure. my, my children. I don't sort of touch. But yeah, but it's part of the wider discussion.
1: Yeah, I should have put two and two together with the last name Murray. Obviously, that's an <laughs> yes, uh, Irish yes. last name. But um, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, obviously, I have an Irish last name as well. And of I, course, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was raised uh, Presbyterian, which is uh, you yeah, know yeah. uh-huh. Scots are yeah. supposed to be. Um, yes, uh-huh. yes. <laughs> And now I'm Lutheran. So who knows? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, why don't we why don't we start there? Why don't we talk a little bit about? Um, about your, your Catholic upri- upbringing, like what was it like being raised Catholic in Scotland and why did you end up leaving?
0: Yeah, I think, so, interesting types, I was, I was born in 1971, so I was, don't remember immediately after that, but the late 70s, early 80s, the other piece of context there if you've been raised Catholic in the UK. Was the Irish situation and the Irish troubles now, and the, there was a period, a period of time from the late seventies till pretty much most of the eighties, where the IRA there was regular bombing campaigns and 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 in the UK, and they never actually, for for reasons that probably relate to some kind of, I don't know, Celtic affinity or the fact that there's always been a strong Scottish nationalist community as well. They never really bombed, they didn't bomb Scotland because it was always not, it was England, although what they were attacking was the UK as a whole. But the reason I mention all of that is that was very much, I was very aware of that as part of my identity in Scotland, as Mm. in you were a Catholic or to use the old uh, I think the 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 phrase of Fenian, which I'm not sure what the historical Irish context of Fenian mm. is, but it does it's it's the kind of it's considered an, an abusive term. Um, but I was aware of that. There was skirmishes. I went to a Catholic school. It was always part of the upbringing. It filtered into football, of course. So the, the two <laughs> Glasgow football teams, Celtic and Rangers. Although I was never particularly interested in sport, um, it filtered in So it was a it even although we weren't religious family as in we would go to church but we weren't deeply religious or anything like that but it was it was almost like and you don't hear I don't hear people saying this about about Christians the way you know you know people talk about somebody being culturally Jewish even if they're not um you don't hear people saying that about Christianity and I don't know if it exists but it was like there was like a, a cultural Catholicism it's not necessarily mm-hmm. that you were a believer or you were deeply religious but you you very strongly identified with it you would go to church, there would be youth clubs you would attend, there would be other things you would attend, it was a big part of your life when you were growing up. Um, and that was the case, as I say, throughout the 80s, where I did start to drift away. My As I say, my parents weren't particularly um, strict, um, and certainly, you know, they just while I was there until I was about 15, 16, they would drag me to church every Sunday. But when I start, if I started to protest and say I didn't want to go, they weren't going to sort of drag me there under duress, I start bearing in mind the eighties as well, the other big social issues in the eighties. So um, uh, uh, issues around about homosexuality and stuff like that. The church were got quite active on that um, and that, and I had friends who were in that place, and I really, really found it tro- problematic. My dad wasn't the most um, open minded when it came to that. My mum was more so, but my dad wasn't the most open minded. So I began issue by issue, and at that time, including abortion, <laughs> to think. I don't want anything to do with this organisation. <laughs> They're not, they don't represent the values that I have. And I mm-hmm. kind of drifted away from them at that point in time. So it's not, you know, as Em did, it's a lapsed Catholic will tell you, there isn't a, you know, there isn't a ceremony to So And it's not. It's a, it's a general, it's a slow process. But I just eventually just sort of stopped going and, and had no interest in it. And although that was still long before I had kids myself, I had no in- I thought that, that's it, that period of my life is finished. I don't identify with it anymore.
1: So let's 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 start here, I guess. Let me let me put it this way: your uh, drift away from the Catholic Church was primarily about social issues. Then is that fair sure. to say? Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: I remember. I remember as well. Another this is a. You're right. It was social issues. I remember. There's a thing in the UK called Comic Relief, which I don't know if you, it's one of these big. Every year, every couple of years, a telephone type thing. where they mm-hmm. get stars on the television and they raise money. And they were, I think I've heard at, it. Yeah. yeah. So the UK is Richard Curtis who did four weddings and a Funeral and stuff. Richard Curtis was behind the UK one, but it's been running for about thirty years now. So, but it kicked off in the eighties. But the Catholic school I went to had supported it the first year, and then they were told not to support it the second year. And the reason they were told not to support it the second year was because one of the things that comic relief did was supplied com- condoms into villages in Africa. Mm-hmm. It was a Catholic church, opposed to contraception. So that was it. And I remember at the time, again, I've been a pushy 17-year-old, but I remember thinking, that's absurd. But it was because... You weren't raising money specifically for that, but yes, somewhere there's a chance that the money you raise would have found its way into that. The Catholic Church was saying, we're not going to support that anymore, we'll find another way to do it. So there were lots of small things like that related to social issues that sort of drove me away. And at that point in time, abortion was was another one because at that point in time, not having not been a parent and viewing the whole thing in the abstract, I just thought, well, that's another thing that the Catholic Church is wrong about, in terms of being Hmm. pro-life, at that point in time.
1: Hmm. Okay, well, you are not uh, the first person I've had on my show, that um, said he, uh, well, said they changed their mind about abortion when they saw, what do you call it, a sonogram, an an ultrasound. I had a really interesting conversation a couple of years ago with a pro-life activist activist named Albany Rose I don't know if that name means anything to you so. um she's kind of a how do I describe her she's a character um she's kind of a YouTube activist I guess I don't know she's a you know she's an atheist she's a kind of a hardcore metalhead you know she's just is very gothic um uh. But she, uh, she, she's pretty cool. Um, also, a, also a pro-life activist. Um, anyway, you know, she, she told me she used to be like virulently pro-choice. And um, in, in retrospect, she says, because she was actually forced into an abortion as a teenager and wanted to justify it in her mind, um which is yeah i mean her story was a little a little horrific um yeah uh, <laughs> but anyway you know she she uh, told me when she was you know having her um it, she had her second pregnancy you know she saw saw the ultrasound and just couldn't deny it anymore you know that was how she put it like i i just couldn't couldn't see that as anything uh, other than a human being once i'd seen it which i thought was really interesting um is it, was it a similar experience for you or?
0: It, it was very much so, but it felt like it was, yeah, I'm not sure if it was in denial. It, it felt like it, I was just more or less forced to, con- yeah, like confront something that that I had kind of buried in, uh, buried away or treated as a purely intellectual exercise up until that point. There was a... I'm not sure if you, there was a podcast I listened to just in the recent weeks, Barry, is it Barry Weiss, I don't know if it's Barry Wise, I'm not sure, produced yeah. a podcast recently with somebody and they were on the topic that they were talking on the same topic and they were talking about the problem on other topics as well but the problem on this one is that people engage with the weakest argument of the other side, that's what you yeah. want to engage with and and that's very common and I get that. For me, I think what it was, was there was a few things as well and I don't want to not, I don't want to break any confidence. I, I had a few people around about me who I was aware had an abortion and mm-hmm. were treating it. And I don't; these weren't people I know well enough to to know whether or not there might well have been some other feelings going on separate from that. But they they were treating it as, and that, this is what this gets to the heart of the current issue, which is that it's often described as being healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. been described as that as a healthcare, and I, and I, and again, I know then straying into the whole territory of I don't have a uterus and blah 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 and I get all of that but it's described as being healthcare and there, there is some kind of for me there is a disjoin between taking a sonogram photograph an ultrasound photograph that if you do decide that you're going to go ahead with her that becomes this precious snapshot of something mm-hmm. and calling it healthcare in which the exact same thing you decide to have a different moral relationship to the thing in that picture because you decide that you want to go ahead with it and it is squaring that in my head that i find very very difficult and i think so that's kind of what it what it was with me was yes it was that moment my wife and i saw the first sonogram and we realized that it just made me reflect on it a lot more and that was a normal pregnancy and he's he's nearly 16 now and he's around but it just made me start thinking you know, most sonograms. I think the, the most sonograms. I think all sonograms, unless there's anything in late-term abortion in this country. Anyway, in the UK, it's legal up to 24 weeks. Your sonograms are about 12 weeks and about 18 weeks. So, you're, the abortion is legal well after the, the period of the sonogram. So, there just felt that like something incongruous to me about the idea of saying, "Here is a process you can go through, and you're getting a view on this." this person, this baby, this life. And I know that the, how you actually label it is part of this argument, but but if you decide that you no longer want to, if you decide that you want to change the label that's on there, you can go down a different path. And that bit is the bit that always just felt a little bit strange to me. It just didn't mm-hmm. really sort of add up. Um, but again, I'm aware of the cliche of saying, you know, I became pro-choice whenever I had my own children, it, 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 sorry, pro-life when I had my own children. Again, it's a, it's a huge walking cliche, but... I can't deny the the reality of it for me.
1: Let me poke at this because I'm curious. I I know there are people on the other side who have said, you know, I I became pro-choice after I had my own child. Like, I seeing how, you know, um, um, unpleasant or whatever pregnancy can be and, you know, asking people to go through that for nine months is a bridge too far for me. I don't know. Do you have any comment on that? Yeah, absolutely.
0: I can see it. I think so... When you get into the, the guts of this argument, it, what it tends to come down to is is this viability point, right? So, right. Um, and and I know, and I I, if you, I don't discuss this very often, but when I do, I, I get that this maybe it feels like a bit of a kind of sixth form talking point that would sort of, you know cheese off a lot of people because it seems a bit abstract, but it still feels important in my head. If we ever get scientifically given that the point the point of viability is moving it you know it used to be quite mm-hmm. late and it's moving forward so and, and I saw so are well aware that's a hypothetical but what happens if it's ever if it's what happens if the minute what happens if viability moves right up to meet conception mm-hmm. what do you do what do you do at that point and, yeah I, I, and I, I anytime I've sort of raised that and I understand why people say oh, we're nowhere near there and we're not there yet and I get all of that but but it feels to me as though being able to justify what you do, I wherever the viability line lands, being able to justify what you could do up to that is dependent on having a conversation about, you know, if you say, if you justify an abortion on the grounds of there's no viability, then you have to accept that when that viability moves that, that there was justification, or you find another basis for justifying it, if you see what I'm saying. And that's the bit that I'm not sure is... In the argument, that's the bit that I don't think gets much attention, because I think people have quite a as I say, it's it's that whole thing about the worst arguments of both sides. They argue the idea that it should just be considered healthcare, I find I do just find that abhorrent. And I think if I'm honest as well, and I understand the thrust of it and I understand the 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 the, the, the emotion attached to it, anytime I see it being discussed, it's discussed as uh, somebody who's pro, pro choice you know it's my body and i always think no it's not it's your yeah. body and somebody there are two there are two people involved in this but right. it's as though the, the whole debate is, and i get that in, in the in the eyes of those who, who are pro choice that that's not the case i get that it's not but from my perspective i am thinking you can't frame this on the basis of aren't, that it's my body or my choice because the whole the whole basis for those who have a different view that it's not your body, it's your body and another body that's grown inside. <laughs> um, sure. sure. And, and but so that's why I sometimes think these things that become, um, that seem as though they're abstract talking points or you know, debate, you know, about viability and is it a clump of cells, is it a fetus, is it a baby, all of those things. People tend to, I think, when this issue comes up, say, oh, ignore all of that. That's just kind of performative debating, and I'm just pro-choice. Whereas actually, the whole issue feels to me as though it's actually based on coming to some agreement there. Is it a baby? Is it a clump of cells? Is it, a, is it a sentient baby? Those questions, which I think tend to get pushed to the side in that debate, actually, I think are central to it.
1: Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Do you see there being an objective answer? To those questions
0: it's a very very good question and that because i'm also conscious of when people do push those questions away although that frustrates me mm-hmm. the most powerful argument that they will then come to if you are pro-choice for which again hands up honest i have no <laughs> answer is if you move back to where we were pre whatever it was in the uk or pre Roe versus Wade, if you move back, abortions didn't not happen then they just happened. Mm-hmm. They just happened far more dangerously and people's women's mm-hmm. lives were risk, and stuff like that. That is the I think that is the, the pro-choice argument that stops me at my tracks more than any other.
1: Mm-hmm. Because
0: I don't I don't have a good answer for that. Um I, and what I find myself say so your question, but will you ever get an answer to that? That's why I was asking the question of imagine whatever I, imagine it's a case that soon as soon as there is conception, there's viability what what do you do then what is the law around about that you have two viable human you have two human beings one there one's a viable human being however you want to do it what how do you reconcile the rights of that um fetus let's just i'm just using fetus here just as a choice word i'm not making any assumptions how do you reconcile the rights of that and the woman that's carrying that that that, I think, is always going to be very, very difficult to do. And I do happen to believe, and uh, again, I don't know whether or not, I don't know somebody who knows far more about it than me, I'm sure could shoot this down. I <laughs> have in my head a view that says it should be possible to say that if, uh, if somebody finds themselves in that position as a result of you know an act of violence uh, or anything like that, that there is a and there is an additional, even although we even if we do accept the viability argument, if we do even start from the premise of that's a that's a person, I still like, think you can make a strong case to say yes, it's a person, but it's a person to be, it's a person, at it's very early stages of its development. As you were saying, pregnancy is not an easy process, even whenever everybody's happy and it's what's wanted, <laughs> never mind when it's the result of something like that. Yeah. I can I could imagine something that I could support that would say when these certain conditions are met, the medical procedure is the right thing to do. But that's a million miles away from saying it's just healthcare. And that if somebody falls pregnant by accident, they can go ahead and do it. And that's the bit, and I don't know, and that's the bit that, as I say, somebody might well say, do you know what? Legally, that's a line you can't draw. And that's where my reservations are, that somebody might say, because all you would need to do is, if anybody found themselves wanting to, to avail themselves of it, in the healthcare context, they would just say... It, it was something else, and that's a horrible scenario to imagine as well. If people, if women had to start pretending that it was about <laughs> it was violence or something like that, that's an awful situation to put anybody in. So that's why I was meaning to go back to the start of our conversation. This I do struggle with this in terms of if somebody, if I had the power to completely ban it outright, I don't think I would exercise that power. I don't, that makes me nervous as well. It's not about reversing Roe versus Wade, but it's about. Is there somewhere that you can take it back to being something that's not that recognises the recognises the moral complexity of it, and only allows that to happen in a circumstance where there is real violence or pain, rather than just convenience, on the part of the person?
1: Hello, thank you so much for listening to Changed My Mind. I will get right back to that conversation you were just listening to. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk real quick about the Patreon. We are a listener-supported show. The donations are what keep the lights on. They help me pay my editor and my executive producer. And they are what keep this sort of thoughtful conversation online for listeners to hear. Um, if you go to patreon.com slash changemymind, that's P-A-T r-e-o-n dot slash change my mind you can support the show for as little as a dollar a month once you start supporting at three dollars or more benefits start kicking in you'll get early access to episodes and if you support at five dollars or more you will become a producer for the show uh which basically means that i'm gonna shout you out at the end of every episode and also you can come to our strategy meetings on zoom every month if you want you um Don't have to talk if you don't want to. You can just be a fly on the wall and see how the magic happens uh, or see how the sausage is made, as the case may be. Um, So if you like this show and you like what I'm doing, please consider going online to patreon.com slash change my mind and becoming a supporter. Thanks again to all our listeners and supporters. I really appreciate you. And I will flip you right back over to that conversation you were just listening to. As you pointed out, the U.S. abortion debate is extremely polarized in some very unhelpful ways. I think um, you know it's <laughs> it's gotten you know very much like it's just healthcare versus it's murder. And I'm just oh, I'm always man. over I'm always over here like guys, can't we acknowledge there's at least a little bit of moral complexity here, right? <sighs> that there are there are the conflicting interests of two actual human beings. Um, and I don't, I don't know, know whether
0: or not it seems, as you say, it's panned out. It's murder. It's healthcare, and, it, and that that the polarizing like that means you're never going to get that solved. And it almost feels like that was that podcast I referenced that I heard a few weeks ago felt like a positive one to me because it felt it felt like saying the only way that we will ever resolve this somehow. Is if we can pull both sides back from that extreme, we can have those who believe that abortion is always murder to not use that word because that's not right and that's not fair when you consider the some of the horrible circumstances that it happens in, versus mm-hmm. those who believe it's healthcare and realise wait a minute, it's not healthcare either because it's not you know it's not like taking a pill. It's very hard to pull those two sides back from that, and I'm not sure if there is a way to do that. But that's that's kind of where that's kind of where I sort of find myself on it trying to. Straddle those two extremes and say, is there a way of of pulling this back into the middle?
1: Sure. Yeah i I wanted to talk to you about this in part because you know I'm someone whose political instincts tend leftward. You know Um, i don't I don't necessarily agree with I I don't necessarily identify with progressive. I I think probably leftist is better is a better description of my um, my instincts and my My thing with (laughs) abortion has always been like, you know, to the extent that leftist politics are about empowering the weak as opposed to the strong, it seems, you know, uh, uh, it seems like it should be at least a possibility (laughs) that we should be at least somewhat yeah. on the side of the unborn in this conflict. Yeah. I don't know, do you want to talk a little bit more about that, how your yeah, abortion yeah. integrate with your progressive politics?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's fair, because it, what's interesting, again, this is more of, from what I've observed, because I've always been a kind of US politics geek. I sat up an election night with my spreadsheet and the co- Electoral College, so I've always been a bit of a geek about that. <laughs> that's probably why this, this topic interesting more as well. But but you're right. So there is this idea that if you're in, if you're on sort of the left or liberals, you, you identify more with the weak, and there is a one way of framing the abortion debate as the, the weak or the 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 oppressed or whatever. In that context, is the fetus, is the baby that's trying to be born. Not the... so. But but there is there's a there's a flip of that, isn't there? Of course, because you'll find you'll often find people who are very pro-choice pointing out that you know, and again, in the US context, um. Republicans who would maybe uh, again I know not all Republicans are pro-choice, but you know roughly drawing that line, Republicans who would take a view about being pro-choice and about the importance of that child the minute the child's born, when it became welfare or anything else at that point, it's on its own. So, and, and this, which that, is the opposite is the of that. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the opposite <laughs> contrast. It's the same type of thing. So I think both have that. I, I don't know if it's so in the UK context, does it does it clash? I think it. I think it probably it probably does. It's less visible in the UK because, as I say, we don't have the culture war thing going on that, that the US has. We don't. We can't point back to something like Roe versus Wade that does that. It's certainly become. We've obviously got Boris Johnson at the moment, and so it's a, a centre right government. There are certainly figures in Boris Johnson's government that I've talked about lowering the the age. So nobody's talking about banning abortion or anything like that. We don't have the same. Uh, we don't have the same uh, Supreme Court and state-by-state challenges and stuff that you guys have, so there's a big aspect of that that we just don't have. Sure. So it doesn't really feature in our dialogue. None of the main political parties are opposed to um, are opposed to abortion. There is occasionally um, battles at the fringes because there is some, even the most uh, obviously there are people in the UK that are are anti-abortion, full stop, but at a senior political level, the most it ever gets is people who want to restrict the time, move the time back. And, And that's nothing like, I don't know, what is it, Is it Texas recently that are trying to do it till it's six weeks? It's nothing like that either. It's moving it from 24 to 20 or something. It's nothing as extreme as what Texas are trying to do. So it kind of doesn't play into that. I don't know whether it's because of my interest in US politics, but it doesn't play into the identity side of things in the UK as much as I think it does uh, in the US environment.
1: Yeah, (laughs) things are definitely... I, I feel like there, there, I feel like there are kind of two major issues um in the US uh that are mostly just people screaming their identities in each other's faces as opposed to really debating issues. Okay. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's that's a, that's abortion and guns, you know. Guns, yeah. Um you know, <laughs> it's like if if you are if you are pro-gun control, that says something very specific culturally about you, and vice if, if you're anti-gun control, it does as well. And uh, abortion is very much in the same category um, yeah. which is in- interesting to me that the pro-gun people tend to be anti-abortion and vice versa um, <laughs> Yeah, we're uh-huh. all okay with killing certain types of people um, but, but just not, uh-huh. who we're okay with killing very yeah. person person.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and as I say we're, there's, there's an element of that and I don't know obviously we've had the big political issue in the UK in the last five six years has been Brexit um, and moving out of Europe but we are seeing, and I don't know, that there's, there's been a TV channel recently launched in the UK, GB News, which people were calling kind of mini-fox, uh, which is probably a little bit un- unkind, but there's some element of that to it. Um, and so we are starting, as often as the case, that the UK, 15, 20 years behind the, behind the US, ab- absorbs something that's going to... The cultural norm there we start to absorb but there is an element of the culture worth coming in and um, it's not as defined obviously we don't have the guns element that's a totally different thing and um, it's not as defined as it is in the us but it is there as well but the same so the same dynamic underplays that underneath if you are on the left if you're a progressive if you're a liberal you're assumed to be pro-choice um, mm. and that's just the general assumption that that, um, that, that exists in terms of that mm.
1: Well, let me ask you this: um, how, how how does your uh, pro life conviction affect your life, your interactions with others, your political participation? Um, and you can take those one at a time if you yeah, want. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so. It exists, so it's, it's it's very it's something that only really features in the context of things that we're doing now, or if, if I end up debating it on Twitter or something with somebody. It doesn't, from a point of view of um, I, that's why I said at the start I wouldn't, I'm not in, in any way an activist in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't sort of affect day to day life in terms of engagement with politics and stuff. I don't. So you know, whoever I vote, as I say, all the mainstream parties in the UK, none of them are are, are about. Are about um, making abortion illegal or anything like that. It's just not sure. a mainstream position, and I'm still happy to lend them a vote. So it's not. It doesn't drive. It's mainly, I think, a function of that ambiguity I have of this isn't. It's, this is not a simple issue for me. There is there's nuance in it. Therefore. You know, i'll go out and vote for somebody who am quite happy for to cast my vote for somebody who's maybe act, quite actively pro-choice because i recognize the validity of, of that argument I, I, but what what they're not doing is addressing that point that we're making about the nuance of the you know they're they're the kind of stepping it they're just simply saying this is either something that's allowed or it's something that's not whereas what I'm wanting to say is it's something that should be far far less common than it is and we should treat differently but that's not on the table politically so it doesn't really affect it has no significant effect on my life other than when in the context like this if it ever became more of a an issue I don't know if there was a referendum in the UK about it or something like that to to change the rules that is where I think it would be trickier because I would be forced to I mean it would depend on what the referendum was on but I would be forced to again to then probably align myself with people that on other issues I wasn't particularly comfortable with but I would need to take a different look at it at that point in time
1: it's interesting to me um because you're clearly much more aware of U.S. politics than I am of British politics which is <laughs> you know that's that's on yep. me um it's interesting to me though that you say abortion is becoming potentially more of an issue in British politics, even as I know Ireland very recently yeah. legalized it. So, yep. I mean, in that context, it sounds like they're almost moving in opposite directions. Do you yeah. have a comment on that? Or yeah, I have a yeah. That we're, it's maybe
0: not quite on topic. I, the 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 culture war thing I think is hitting the UK just now. I think it's off the back of. Um, so off the back of Brexit, we've had mm-hmm. again from a UK perspective, obviously Boris Johnson's prime minister just now. Until until about a year or so ago, the other candidate for um, for prime minister, the person who lost the two thousand nineteen election, was Jeremy Corbyn. So I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you're aware of Jeremy Corbyn, but Jeremy, yeah. certainly even even in this country, Jeremy Corbyn, the, the characterization fairly or otherwise, was Jeremy Corbyn's very very left wing. Um, so you know, yeah, you know, if there's a if there's a corollary, it's kind of Bernie Sanders type thing, as in he's like, you know, to to the left of where the party wants to see itself. But obviously he lost that election. So what you've had is the UK electorate kind of polarised between two, both almost kind of slightly comical figures, like quite slightly extreme. And that's bringing up the cultural aspect of it, the cultural war aspect of it. I think and hope that it's going to be quite short-lived and that it's a function of Brexit. Brexit obviously the Brexit vote was 2016. Um so it's not that long ago, five years ago, and in terms of our, there's still been a few elections and then, but in terms of our electoral cycle, I think it's going to play through. And I'm hoping that you, what we'll see is, whether it's in both the Conservatives and Labour, more grown up, for want of a better term, more serious <laughs> politicians in that role, more the moderate wings of either of their party. And if you get to that place, you will get to a place where um, the abortion issue, which I think in the last couple of years has perhaps been moving closer to, to the to, um, has been g- increasing profile will start to slip back again because as you say Ireland have just changed the way they've approached it as well. Um, the extra context that I've got without completely going at a tangent is of course I'm sitting in Scotland and there's a very real prospect that at some point in the next 5-10 years Scotland the UK might disintegrate as the UK is anyway and Scotland was always going way and again I suspect notwithstanding the nuance that we've talked about today the majority of people in Scotland, as in the majority of people in the UK, I think would probably be would be pro-choice, and and mm-hmm. there might be a conversation around about about the timelines of it and the, that etc. But there wouldn't be. I don't think there's any prospect in the UK politics either as it stands, or even if it fragmented into Scottish politics, of pro-life becoming a serious political position that had an opportunity to win power. And as I say, we don't have the we don't have the Supreme Court and the individual states that can pass laws and stuff like that just doesn't exist in the UK environment Mm -hmm. so in that context that's probably why we you know I don't think there's any prospect of it becoming illegal in the UK
1: we're a long long way away from that all right well let me ask you this aside from your new beliefs themselves what would you say you learned from the experience of changing your mind
0: I think the fact that the prompt for it was having a child myself and and, and doing that and it was always there was always a, a I doubt in my mind, but the fact that the prompt was there has made me more... I suppose it's just made me a little bit less... less strident on other things in terms of realising that experience informs where you are in a debate. And until you've actually had that experience, it's important... You can you can think you would know what the experience would do, and you can think you would intellectualise it and come to a view, but the having the experience completely changed where I stood. So. Um, it's made me realise if I'm ever on my high horse or on another thing where I think this is what should happen, but actually, do you know what? I don't have any direct experience of that issue to always keep in the back of my mind what happened with my journey on the abortion thing because, you know, in other words, be a little, little bit more humble and a little bit less sure of yourself on those other mm. things because the, 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 it, you it could well be that when you go through a certain experience, your view on it changes, whether that, I don't know what that would be. I mean, I've fairly comfortable life and not find myself with long periods unemployed and the type of things where you might tend to make judgments about people and assume in that circumstance I wouldn't do that or I would do this the realization that yeah you don't really know until you've been through it and when you've been through it it can radically change your view so it's helped I think in terms of letting me recognize there isn't you know that it might not be quite as extreme as it is in the abortion debate, but there is nuance and gray areas in every debate, <laughs> um, yeah, and it doesn't and fair. it does and it doesn't help for either party to sort of plonk themselves out on the extreme and just lob grenades at each other's weakest arguments, and, and nobody wins out of that. And I think the abortion argument shows that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do wonder how much of the uh, <laughs> how much of the issue we have with um you know polarization in the let's say the the anglophone world um the us and the uk as well i guess um is just a matter of people having very very different experiences and therefore not being able to understand each other you know
0: yeah and 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 i yeah and i know it and that's another it's another kind of obvious cliche and take this back to where we started but twitter and stuff like the means the way we talk to one another now is necessarily fragmented it's necessarily cut into sound bites and then of course it's invariably filtered through an algorithm right that facebook or twitter will have and they will you know they will there's countless studies out there that will show you these social media sites like to show you things you disagree with because that creates you know people will react yeah. to that they don't like to show you things you agree so because i always think the filter bubble thing was always overdone a wee bit as far as i know i'm not an expert but the research shows now that people don't want to just exist in a filter bubble they want a kind of regular diet of comments from people that they can feel smug about and say no you're wrong and yeah <laughs> and it feeds all of that up and, and it makes um but yeah it's almost like we've we've infantized infantilized just ourselves as a, as a nation and as a as a culture we prefer debate that exists on a very um kind of bitty insulting basis rather than you know, a deep conversation is quite rare. Um, And and most of many of the issues we face
1: require a proper conversation,
0: not not a Twitter conversation.
1: I've definitely (laughs) heard certain people uh, point out that, you know, to the extent you uh, edit your Twitter feed to be political views you agree with, as most people tend to, I think. You know, most people tend to follow people they agree with what you end up seeing from the quote unquote other side is always like the dumbest stuff that uh-huh. gets posted you know it's yeah. like uh-huh. you you get mostly like quote teats of look at this idiot you know uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. um and presumably you know on the more right right hand right hand side of twitter there are probably quite a few intelligent things that get said but um not getting them on left twitter you
0: don't, you know? no you don't get them when you do it. And it, it Getting back to your question, it's one of the things I'll often try and do. It's I, I I don't do it. All, I don't do it all the time. I'm not by no means perfect, but when I have that, I've trained myself almost now. When I have that impulse, <laughs> reading a tweet, or a quote tweet by somebody, and thinking. How unbelievably stupid is that? That person cannot possibly mean that. I try and train myself to say, look, you know, what I'll do is often save it, bookmark it, and say, I'll go and do some digging because if I'm if I'm looking at that, thinking that that person's unbelievably daft. What a silly thing to say. <laughs> the likelihood is they haven't said it in that context. They don't mean that, and that it's being misrepresented by somebody just because it makes them feel good to do it. So I try and train myself to do that on other topics. It's not just the abortion thing, um, but it's not easy to do. It's getting back to our conversation about RSS and stuff and. The sheer deluge of information you get so it used to be the case that people would have to seek this out whereas nowadays we're deluged with it so there's a tendency to want to turn the dials to make sure that as you say everything you see is broadly you agree with or you, you give yourself a little bit of the other side just to feel that you're doing something you know you feel that you're sort of doing the right thing by exposing yourself to it a little bit but like you say it's often what you end up exposing yourself to is the nutty side of it you
1: know so it's a yeah, yeah it's interesting I have tried to discipline myself to engage in what i've heard called steel manning if you're familiar with the expression um if you're like straw man yeah yeah inverse instead of building a straw man you build a steel man right like so is that you see, yeah. if someone says something you think is dumb, you you say, "Okay, what is the best possible interpretation?" Interpretation of this? Of like, that yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> what is which the is least dumb motivation I can think of that could be behind yes. this? You uh-huh. know? Yeah, uh, uh, which is a, <laughs> is a
0: variant on the, you know, handle your opponent's best arguments, isn't it? That's what's a variant on, you know, take the take the, you know, treat it as, as you say, treat it as good faith, assume good faith, and 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 also, and but that yeah, that's. As you say, that's yeah. something you have to make an active effort to do on Twitter. Twitter's full of people doing the very opposite <laughs> of that, as you say.
1: Well, and it's been my experience that, you know, every time, you know, a, a news headline hits the he- a news article hits the headlines that just seems utterly ridiculous. Like, just what could people have possibly huh. been thinking? Like, if you dig a little bit or you keep paying attention, you always find out, well, no, it wasn't quite as insane as it seemed, you yes. know? Ah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, not that's what sells exactly. papers. That's not what gets clicks. That's it not what get clicks. Gets, no, you know, no, so no, yeah. most, people, most people miss the clarifications of, no, it wasn't quite as ridiculous as we thought it was originally. And,
0: yeah. yeah. And also, I don't often, <clears throat> when you do, do that and you dig into it, it's not what I, affects what I just my personal frustration. What I find is that in most cases, it was apparent to most of the people who were tweeting it that that wasn't what was meant as well in other words it appears to be that it's a kind of right. game it's just a process in other words if you go if you do end up engaging with and you go back to the person and say you know they didn't mean that didn't you they'll go yeah yeah I don't, it doesn't matter it was just about fun that's just in other words it's deliberately done to do that and I just think that's the thing that I think is breaking down the dialogue a little bit it's very because it, that's what's driving the culture war thing this assumption that the other side are, are stupid we had we had an issue in the uk recently where with the party conferences and there's a lady called angela rayner who's the deputy leader of the labor party Um, she's kind of the 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 corbin person who's still there obviously corbin has moved on but she's kind of there and yeah. she referred she referred to she referred to tories so the conservatives as scum uh, and there was a recording of a the scum, and that became a huge talking point in the UK. It was, you know, you can't describe people as scum just because you disagree with them, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, we had a tragic incident a couple of weeks ago where a Conservative MP was stabbed at his surgery. Um, nothing to do with Angela's comments, but of course, in the kind of culture war scenario, people pull it together and say that's what happens when you start to describe. Your, when you dehumanise your enemy, you don't just say, I disagree with you in something. You say, I think you're fundamentally a bad person for thinking that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah. So sort of wrapping it back to abortion, I think it's a, as you say, it's the murder versus healthcare thing. It's just neither of those are useful frames to discuss this topic, but they feel that the frames that are the go-to frames for most people to discuss it, and it's just not helpful.
1: Sure, sure. All right, well, I have three final questions uh, that I ask all my guests. Um, this being a philosophy podcast, I like to poke at these questions of ontology, epistemology. Okay. How do we know truth? How do we know ourselves? Um, so tell me, Liam, what is identity? How do you know your identity? Does everybody have an identity? What do you think? I'm not even too
0: sure if I know what this word means, but I know what I'm, I'm trying to use it to mean. <laughs> Surely identity is like a construct. hmm it's like something you, believe, you know, you, you, you have a series of, and if somebody asks you to articulate your identity, you tend to, there's things you tend to go for, and there's if, generally speaking if people ask you to articulate your identity you don't go for the basic well my name is my address is <laughs> that's not what you mean it's normally a values-based thing so you'd say my values are this is what I you know and you might if you were religious you might point that out if you're progressive or if you're conservative or whatever if you're liberal I think so in that sense I think it's like in a construct because it's kind of it's like the flag you want to wave like your identity most people don't construct their identity as a it's not a full thing. In other words, there are things that we all have that we would say that's not part of my identity because you don't want people to know about it because it's your, it's your bad habits or your vices or whatever. So it feels like your identity, I know it's not the best metaphor, but it's the flag you would want to wave to say this, you know, this is the person that's standing here. This is my values. It would probably have some aspect of your biographical details. So I'm a, I'm a dad, you know, I'm a husband and stuff like that. I'm a... They're blurred out, but I play guitar. My guitar's are my main thing, and <laughs> I, I, I'm a musician. So there, you would probably put some stuff, some biographical details in there, but it would probably be kind of a values-based thing. So I think everybody has an identity. The interesting thing is we all construct our own, but but and, and we construct our own as being quite a big, complex, broad thing, but the one we ascribe to everybody else is always a very narrow, simplistic one.
1: I had a really interesting... Um conversation a while ago with novelist Matt Ruff on the show where he told me that when someone tells you their moral values, all they're really telling you is who they are, which I thought was a really interesting insight. I don't know. Something to think yeah, about.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <it's interesting. laughs>
1: um, let me ask you this. What is human nature? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? Nature not Um, (laughs) etc so yeah i have a and this
0: is maybe just the optimistic liberal in me i i do think we're all pretty much the same um Hmm. i um i don't believe i'm way off to i don't i'm very always very very apprehensive whenever you know it often happens in, 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 in regard to horrible incidents whatever but Whenever something happens, it's a horrible incident, somebody does something and people describe it as evil or a monster and stuff like that. I, I never like that because I always think you, what you're doing is you're obscuring, it and it's not defending the person, but you're obscuring, you're kind of othering it, and you're pretending that human nature isn't capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. Whereas in actual fact, you, you know, the, you know the, the, the worst people in the world have been human, that's just a fact. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: we can be driven to do some very, very horrible things. And um, so, in that sense, human nature is sufficiently malleable to allow a massive range of moral behaviors from incredibly altruistic to the point of you know giving up on their own, their own their own health and welfare to help other people to what we label for ease of discussion evil human nature is a broad enough construct to cover all I cover all of them but i think you know, I'm, I'm, an old, I'm a statistics nerd as well, and if you think of, you know, the old normal, you know, the normal distribution curve, I think it's a, it's very much a most of us are all very, very clumped in the middle, and those are very rare extremes out there. And even although we might think we're looking across a Gulf at somebody who might be pro-choice or anti-choice or conservative or liberal, whatever, they're, they're still far closer to you than those extremes that are out there. So I don't, I think it encompasses everything, but most people, I think, are broadly the same. And that's maybe sure. just an optimist. Isn't
1: it? Yeah. I was talking to um, earlier on the show, I was talking to a philosophy professor uh, named Justin E.H. Smith. And he quoted several times, I think, the, a line from the, uh, the Roman playwright Terence, which was, um, I'm human and nothing human is foreign to me, which I thought was a really interesting yeah. line. Yeah. Um, well, you know... I,
0: what's the- I'm trying to remember the quote. I used to have it in a blog years ago. There's a quote about crooked timber. I forget. Humanity is a crook is a crooked timber from which no straight thing is made. I can't remember mm. what it was. I'll need to look it out. But it's the same mm. type of thing. You know, it, it's uh, yeah. And that's why I get you know the one you mentioned. They're nervous about people when we other things like that and say that that person was even. I always think that's just. I just think it's dangerous because the like <laughs> at some point people who do some very 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 horrible things at some point they were just a child growing up having the same experiences as everybody else and yet human nature took them to some pretty mm. dark places so it's a mistake to to pretend that's not part of human nature it's a very rare part of it but it's part of human nature
1: sure sure all right and finally what is truth how do you know truth and how do you know when you found truth a funny old question to end on, isn't it? <laughs> um, eventually, eventually, someone's going to give me the right answer. I don't know. Yeah, uh-huh,
0: yeah. That, well, you know. <laughs> don't, don't hold out any hope that it's coming now. um Yeah, well, that's kind of into you're into kind of a sort of moral relativism territory and stuff like that, aren't you? In terms of whether or not we ever have any. I think, and I way beyond my comforts with here, my own view, and this is part of why. I kind of wave my hand to your producer about wanting to talk about abortion here. Truth for me is it's an internal thing. You need to be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. It kind of links to your first question about identity, which is that if you, if you say, well, no, I, I, I run under this flag and that's what I am. And you know what? Actually, I'm very uncomfortable with this. I'm not going to say anything to anybody because I shouldn't say it because, because that's not the flag under which I stand. And therefore, I'm going to just say, you know, so if I was to be... Generally speaking, I'm on the left, progressive. Therefore, I should be pro-choice, and not acknowledge the fact that no, wait a minute, you have some discomfort with that. You have a different Mm. view. If you don't acknowledge that, to me, that's dangerous. And that so truth is like an is is like acknowledging your own internal truths, whatever. Just you know, acknowledge those contradictions. And I think if we all did that, slowly we get a little bit closer to you know. There is no such thing as one truth. But if we all organise our own, sorry, if we all recognise our own that's a better place to be because we'll rec- everybody will recognize their complexity. They'll be able to say, actually, do you know what? I should be okay with this, but I'm actually very uncomfortable with it. There's probably 20 other people that were doing that. No, no, I'm under that flag. That's what I think and what you've done by acknowledging that is like giving them license to say it. So truth feels mm-hmm. to me like it's, it's about being true to yourself, whatever, you, yeah. whatever your genuine belief is in yourself, even if it contradicts what you think it should be, acknowledge it that is the only, it's the only kind of truth as an individual, it's the only kind of truth you can advance because as soon as you're out there trying to do anything else, whether even if you're an activist and not not that there isn't a place for that, but if you're out there campaigning for party A or party B or issue A or issue B, you're not, you're still, that's not about you and your internal beliefs. It's just maybe what you believe to be correct, but you don't, as we said before, you don't know what the experiences of other people are. So true truth has to be something that feels like it's internal to you and it's about acknowledging your own issues and your own views on things and not being too swayed by that identity point that I made before.
1: Hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, So often on the show, I find people constructing their views out of the views of people around them. And I'm sure that I'm sure that's unavoidable to an extent. Um, But at the same time, there is something to be said for conviction, you
0: know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. So, and it's yeah, and that's 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 why I, on this particular topic, that's what I struggle with because I don't, you know, I know I I tend to avoid it with with friends and family because I know that it could it can it could lead to, you know, it could lead to fallouts, it's just different people that do feel fa- passionately about it one way or the other. Um but that's kind of what I was referencing there at the end in terms of yes, to some extent we all construct a reviews and opinions and reference to other people but you should use that as a as a starting point not as the the whole thing you know
1: try and absolutely you genuinely believe absolutely all right well thank you so much for coming on the show liam it's been a joy been a pleasure wonderful conversation thank you uh before we go do you have anything you want to plug or no no as i said at the start
0: no nothing I'm, I'm, I'm on twitter at liam murray um just at liam murray on twitter i managed to get my name so i'm on there as that um if anybody's uh, interested in following me
1: on there that would be useful all right well this has been changed my mind with luke t Harrington. you can email the show at changed my at gmail.com uh, find us on twitter at changed or find me on twitter at luke t Harrington. I think I've shouted out Freddie DeBoer once or twice on this podcast already. Uh, He's a great writer. I really recommend him. I've been reading him religiously lately, his substack mainly. I read his book back in October. It's a great book. It's called The Cult of Smart, How Our Broken Education System Perpetuates Social Injustice. Something like that. Um, And the basic premise of the book is is that we need to start being honest with ourselves about the fact that academic talent is not evenly distributed, right? Um, Which to some people will be like, yeah, duh. Um, But that's not really how we talk about the education system, right? The rhetoric is always like, if you work hard, you can succeed um when the data we have suggests that that is very much not the case for everybody right um and he's very clear that he's not talking about you know racial disparities he's talking about personal disparities right um he says you know well there are disparities between races and academic achievements that's very they're very slight and they're very easy to explain with economic differences Um, Differences within races between individuals are much, much greater, right? Um, And as a former educator, this kind of really resonated with me a lot, Um, like, because some kids are just, you know, better at learning than others. Um, And the way he frames it is that, you know, we don't have a problem with acknowledging that some kids are born with more athletic ability or some kids are born with more musical ability why is it so hard to acknowledge that some people have more academic ability than others? You know, and his, his point is, ultimately, that we're coming at education all backwards, because we want, on the one hand, we want education to rank students, right? That's the purpose of A, B, C, D. But we also ex- somehow expect education to be kind of this great leveler, right? That if we offer education to everyone, then everyone will have the chance to succeed. Um, now, Freddie is a socialist. He's a Marxist. Um, so ultimately, his real problem is uh, with that word chance, right? If everyone has the chance to succeed, that l- pretty much guarantees that not everyone will succeed, that certain people will live in poverty. And education can't simultaneously do both, right? It can't simultaneously help the cream rise to the top while leveling everything, right? It can't simultaneously pick and choose who gets to succeed while also improving everyone's life, right? That, those are two contradictory goals. Um, and then he goes on to say what we ought to be doing is ensuring that everyone does live a productive, happy life where they have access to the things they need, right? Not because they did well in school or because they're good at sports or whatever, but because human life is inherently valuable and we ought to protect and serve human life. Um, And I think, you know, I think he's right. Like I I was very much uh, resonating with the things he had to say in the book pretty much until I got to the end. <laughs> um, and he started he started describing the glorious socialist utopia he wanted to build. Um, and I always kind of, like, I have a lot of leftist sympathies, but I, I tend to start rolling my eyes a bit at Marxists when they talk about the glorious utopia that they, they want to build. Like, I get it. It sounds nice. Uh, but... You know, it's <laughs> it's not going to happen in our in our lifetimes, which I think Freddie knows. Um, I sort of wonder if his uh, his publisher or his you know his editor kind of pushed him to add these extra chapters at the end, um, and he did so maybe a little bit reluctantly. Um, and I don't know, maybe 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 not. But anyway, he's he's going into if I could remake the world, this is what it would look like, and he just kind of casually drops, and there would be abortion on demand. And I was just like, nope wait a second. (laughs) You can't have this both ways. You can't say human life is inherently valuable, but that we should be able to snuff it out whenever we want, right? Like human life begins at conception. Animal life begins at conception. There's just no credible scientific argument to the contrary, right? And if you want to argue otherwise, you have to start appealing to concepts like quote unquote personhood. That's a metaphysical concept. It's a construct. There's no scientific definition of personhood. It's not something that can be proven, only something that can be argued about. You know. And if you're a Marxist, you're a materialist. You only care about material reality. You only think material reality is relevant to the discussion. You only care about material outcomes for people right? And there's no worse material outcome that I can think of than getting snuffed out before you even get a chance to be born, you know? Um, I would have loved to get Freddie on the show and talk to him about some of this stuff or talk to him about anything. Uh, My producer reached out to him. I don't think he uh, ever responded. Um, And I'm not digging at Freddie. Like, I love his work. I uh, read his Substack religiously. But um, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I see such... A glaring contradiction there and it's it it's not one a lot of people seem to be willing to engage with seriously um now this show among other things has kind of chronicled uh my slide from like squishy progressive to like dirtbag leftist <laughs> over the course of the last few years um but the further left my politics go, the more convicted I am that abortion is wrong. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, that's that's not me just Frankensteining positions together. Those go together in my mind. Um, that if leftism is ultimately about standing up for those at the bottom, you know, there's no one more silenced in the world than the unborn. Um, and I know that's not a popular position to take. You know, I know that uh, ha- holding both those positions in my head is not going to make me a lot of friends, that it's it's not going to uh, open up any professional doors for me. It's probably going to close quite a few. Um, but if there's one thing I've learned from reading Freddie, it's that... A conviction is something you hold because you believe it to be true or good. Not because it will make you popular. Not because it will make you rich. Um, So until someone convinces me otherwise, uh, those two convictions are going to live in my head side by side. Uh, Hashtag deal with it. Imagine little... Eight bit glasses going over my eyes right now. Anyway, um, that's it for this week. Uh, thanks to Liam for coming on the show. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. If you like what I'm doing on Change My Mind and you want to support us, please go to Patreon.com/ChangeMyMind where you can support me for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, at three dollars a month, you get early access to episodes. At five dollars a month, you become a producer. And all the ladies or dudes will love you, uh, as the case may be. Um, If you don't have any change on you, but you want to help, go to Apple Podcasts and write me a review, preferably five stars. Tell the world what's so great about me. Uh, I will read your review live on the air and make you internet famous. Your mom will be so proud contact me. Call me a disgusting commie or a religious fundamentalist. I don't care. Call me whatever you want. Uh, changedmymindpod at gmail.com is the email address. We'd love to hear from you. I would love to respond to uh, questions or comments here on the show. If you can't get enough of me, go to luketherrington.substack.com to sign up for my email newsletter. If you do, you'll get instant access to both of my published books for free. That's Ophelia Alive, My Ghost Story, and Murder Bears Moonshine and Mayhem, my humor book about the Bible, um, both written with a general audience in mind. That's uh, luke dot com. Change My Mind is produced by Tamar Harrington. To be a producer for the show, support us on Patreon. Our executive producer is Blake Collier, our editor is Jonathan Clausen, and we are hosted by the Raven Creek Social Club. I'm Luke T. Harrington. Thank you for listening to Change My Mind and please don't be afraid to change your mind.